Thanks for joining us for the second week of teaching in this series that I'm calling Dangerous Prayers. And actually, starting last week, we started to work through some prayers that I have suggested that if you pray, listen, they will shake up the dreams and ambitions that you are pursuing. They will uh, disrupt, if you will, a comfortable sense of legacy and impact. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, they will, from time to time, uh, take you through some seasons of confusion. You know why? Because as you start praying these dangerous prayers along with me, uh, what you'll discover is that your life will be headed in one direction and then you will experience a God shift. Can somebody write God shift? Yes. And, and, and you'll determine that God wants you to move in a total different direction. Man. Or you may not shift the direction, but what will shift is the reason for why you're moving in the direction that you're moving. But here's the good news, guys. As you lean in praying these dangerous prayers, moving through moments of risk and some frightening seasons, you will begin to experience some of the grand and great wonders of God flowing through your life. And as I said last week, you're going you're gonna to look around and you're going to say, wow, I can't believe that God is, is doing these amazing things through my living can somebody shout dangerous prayers? And as I told you last week, a good book for you to uh, kind of use as a companion to this teaching is Pastor Craig Grishel's Dangerous Prayers. He shaped it after a series that he did, and uh, it is a wonderful book. We'll refer to it from time to time throughout this teaching. But I don't want to really start uh, with, this, with this book. I want to go back to the text that I started looking at last week, which is found in First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, about a fellow by the name of Jabez. Some of you may have experienced this. 20 years ago, a great book was written called The Prayer of Jabez, and, and it was very, very popular. And I, I want to start right here in this unique text. All right, here's what the writer says. There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. Here's the prayer. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And then here comes the amazing resounding note of the text. And God granted him his request. And there ends the text. And what I told you last week is that, of course, as we look at this prayer, oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would expand my territory. It's a little bit as we're thinking about celebrating the 4th of July here in America. It's, in some sense, it's the prayer that, that we've kind of prayed as a nation uh, for the last, you know, couple of centuries, that God would expand our territory. That God, that you'd be with me, Jabez prayed, that you, your, your hand would be upon me, your power would be with me, and that you'd keep me from hurt and harm and pain. It's a wonderful prayer. Embedded in that wonderful prayer is this kind of what I call a God-sized dream. And, and on the surface, it sounds like, like I said, the, the dream that maybe America has been praying, you know, in an in a interesting way. It may sound like uh, the dream that you've been praying for. But I told you last week that, that the insight for this prayer is really found in how the text opens up 
Notice this. There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than his brothers. Everybody shout, more honorable. And I told you the, the secret to this prayer is really this notion of Jabez being more honorable. That this really reveals the heart behind the prayer. And what looks like just selfish ambition, expand my territory, when we see that, that the heart behind the prayer is really tied to this word more honorable. It changes our understanding of what Jabez is actually praying for. And so last week I told you that the first prayer that I wanted to teach you was this, Lord, make me more honorable. Come on, say it with me. Lord, make me more honorable. And, 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 and that is rooted in the fact that whenever we say the word honorable, we think about words like character and integrity and honesty. And we're acknowledging that we can grow in those areas. And we need to. Today, however, as we think about this word Honorable. I, 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 I want to take you behind the word. The Hebrew word behind that word honorable uh, is, is kabal. And, and it, it's an interesting word. The first thing that popped out at me, that one way of translating the word is heavy. Another way of translating the word is weighty. And when I first saw that, I was like, what is the connection between honorable and weighty? And as I was thinking it through, just kind of thinking about it in the context of the text, I started remembering during my growing up years. uh, And actually, when I started to preach, I experienced it myself that in the African-American Baptist church context, if you were preaching and you were making a really good point, oftentimes the preachers or the sisters sitting in the audience, they would say, Put your weight on it. <laughs> Come, say that with me. Say, put your weight on it. Yeah. What they meant by that is, no, stay right there. That is a really good point. Reemphasize that point. Put your weight on it. And then I thought of another example that, uh, that you know, when I was growing up, we were in school. And if we wanted the teacher to do something for us as a class, we would say, don't have Herman to ask. Or don't ask Lisa to ask. Get Charlene to ask the teacher, will the teacher do X, Y, and Z? Why? Because Charlene has weight with that teacher. You see, in other words, that, that there's something about Charlene's, uh, the, the substance of her living, the credibility of her living, that means that she has weight with the teacher. And it's a remarkable way as I started reflecting back and said, wow, what if we put that word weight in as we think about Jabez, right? It would be an interesting, different way. It would, it, the, the verse would actually read, now Jabez was more weighty than his brothers. It's another way of saying that Jabez, that his life had weight. And as I think about the fact that Jabez's life had weight, I want you to ask the question, does your life have weight. And I, I, I think the text is implying that, that Jabez was a person who, who, whose life had weight in the community where he was. He had weight in his family, uh, among his brothers. and He had weight. But more importantly, Jabez's life had weight with God. 
does your life have weight with God? As I think about this, you're saying, well, I, I hear you. You're saying, well, what does it mean for my life, in a sense, to have weight with God? What, is it, what would it mean for my life to be more, to have more weight in the world? It's a great question as we back into the second dangerous prayer that I want to teach you to pray today. There's one more word that we think about from the Hebrew when we think about this word honorable. It's the word glory. Everybody shout glory. It it, it suggests the heaviness, come on now, the weightiness uh, is often contributed to the presence of God to the presence of God's person, to the presence of God's purpose, to an appearance, if you will, of God. In a way, we we experience this in the reading of the Gospel of John chapter 1 as the writer explains uh, Jesus coming onto the scene as as the unique son of God. Unique son of God. And here's what the writer says about Jesus. He says, he says, and the word is referring to Jesus, became flesh, became human. And dwelled or pitched his tent or moved into the neighborhood as the message paraphrases that wonderful verse. And then the text says, and we beheld Jesus's glory, his weightedness, his heaviness that that we we beheld. We saw in the life of Jesus the presence of the person of God because he was not just fully human. He was also fully God. And we saw in the life of Jesus the the presence of, of, of the person of God. But we also saw the presence of the purposes of God and that Jesus's life had weight. Because we saw in him the presence of God, but that life was always uniquely connected to the eternal purposes of God. Now, keep that in your mind. I want to show you a picture. Here's a picture of what is called a kill. Now, I just learned this. A friend of mine was telling me that this kill is, con- is, is, is what keeps a sailboat floating upright. Here's another picture of it. This is it at the bottom. It's, it's, it's designed to be super heavy, and it's, 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 it's heavier than the boat itself, right? So that next picture, that if the boat tips over because the keel is so heavy, look, how, look at it. The boat can go way over the sailboat and yet not flip over. And my friend who was telling me about the keel said that he went sailing with his son one day and they were on a boat like this and the boat began to tip over just like this and his son got afraid and he told his son, don't worry because what's beneath the water, what's beneath the surface will always be more heavy than what's on the surface. Come on now. (laughs) Oh, can I just ask you a question? Is what beneath the surface of your life more heavy than what's on the surface. All right, here's what I'm trying to get to. Notice this, this here's the first point. Shout glory, glory, right there in the chat, glory. Here's the deal. So when we see the glory of God in everyday life, it is more often than not here, we're running into what I call God's eternal purposes or his work in the world. God is at work in the world. We see his glory. And, 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 and there we find the weight of God. 
Oh, listen to what the writer of Proverbs says. Uh, listen to what he says. I'm, I'm working into this, this dangerous prayer that I want you to learn how to pray now. Come on, stay with me. Because, and I want you to think about, does my life have... Wait, now listen. <laughs> I was thinking one of our team members was uh, helping me as we were preparing these notes. And she would say, now, wait a moment. Wait a moment. Wait a moment. Does my life have... Wait. <laughs> and she says... <laughs> Uh, and you're talking about, do, do, do I want to add more weight? Uh, no, I've been, I've been, she, she said, she reminded me of some people says, I've been working for months to lose some weight. <laughs> what do you mean? Add more weight. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about physical weight. Is the rest of the question? Is it possible for your life uh, to experience more weight? What kind of weight do you have in your living? That's what I'm referring to, right? Sout purposes. Notice the text. Many are the plans in the person's in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Do you know what gives your life? Wait a minute, let's start. Do you know what gave Jesus, besides the fact that we found the person of God in Jesus, you know what gave his life weight? His life was tied, his living was tied to the divine purposes of God, the eternal purposes of God. If you want your life to have weight, the question is, are your daily activities tied to the eternal purposes of God? Here's another way of framing it as I'm working in this question. Perhaps you could pray this prayer. Lord, give me a life of godly Impact. That's what happens when your life is tied to the eternal purposes of God. But here's another prayer. Make my life more weighty. Can you just say that? Lord, make my life more weighty. All right. Now, uh, as we think about this prayer, Lord, make my life more weighty. I want to suggest the insight here first is found in what I want to call the revelation. Everybody shout revelation. Let me back into it this way. The story of told that back, I don't know, uh, you know, several hundred years ago in Europe, a fellow walked up and there's a whole bunch of people working, building, working with bricks and so forth. He walked up on one guy and he said to the guy, he says, what are you doing? The guy says, I'm laying bricks. He walked a little further down, guys were working, same crew that was working. He asked that guy, he says, well, what are you doing? And that guy says, I'm building a wall. He walked a little further down and he asked the next guy, same crew, what are you doing? And that guy says, I'm building a cathedral. Oh, this is the insight I want you to get. For that third guy, it wasn't just laying bricks. He had in his mind the end goal. He knew that the, that the work that he was doing was tied, come on now, to, 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 to a beautiful eternal purpose, to, to a facility that would, would bring glory to God. You know, these cathedrals in Europe, they, they, they exist like a thousand years. That, that, that with every brick he laid, he wasn't, he wasn't just laying a brick. He wasn't just building a wall. He was building, he was engaged in worship. He was engaged. His laying bricks was tied to engaging the purposes of God. 
It's a powerful thing. Now, I want you to keep this in your mind. I'm still, shout revelation. Shout revelation. I'm trying to get you, trying to get to this place. Stay with me. Revelation. Keep this in your mind. Uh, in the writers of the Hebrew scriptures, there was this notion that when we talk about the temple of God, we think about a facility. And surely there was a temple, a Jewish temple. But, but there was even a deeper notion that the earth was ultimately God's temple. That, 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 that it wasn't just, God wasn't just located ultimately in a facility, that the whole earth was God's temple. Let me just give you a couple of illustrations. Look at Psalms 150. And it's easy to miss. And I, I caught this one day. I, was, I went out in, the, in a park area in my Boston days. And I just wanted to spend some time with God. And I was out there praying. And, and, and I, I started to look around as I was praying. And I saw this beautiful environment. And this psalm came to mind. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his, and I'm outside, guys. I'm looking at this, the, the trees. I hear the birds chirping and the sun is sparkling and the flowers are blooming. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequal greatness. And for the very first time, I realize, as I've often said, this passage leading people in worship in a physical building, I realized for the very first time, the psalmist more than likely was not standing in a physical building. He was standing out and looking at all of the miracles of God in nature. And let's go backwards and you'll see where it lands. Watch this. Look at the miracles of God in nature. Let's go back. And he says, praise his unequal greatness. Praise him for his mighty works. Let's keep going backwards. And, 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 and notice it, and it says, praise him in his mighty heavens. And then finally, what is, I'm praising him in his mighty heaven. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his sanctuary. This brings new meaning to what Habakkuk says. Uh, when we read Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 20, it brings new meaning to this wonderful text. The Lord is in his holy temple. Watch this. Let all, everybody shout all. All, come on, highlight, circle if you, if you, if you I don't know. You write it down in your notes. All the earth be silent before him. All the earth. Why? Because the whole earth is God's temple. My goodness. All right, now here's what I'm trying to get to. Most of us, many of us, we relegate our God activity to a one-hour experience, if you're regularly going to church, to a one-hour experience in church, or watch this, to a 45-minute experience watching church online. That's your God activity. You spend 40 or 50 hours at work. That's your quote-unquote secular activity. And, and, and if you want to say, well, well, how does my life, which, <laughs> where is the weight of my life? Come on now. Is the, is the weight of my life in that one hour or in the 50, 40 to 50 hours? Or maybe we spend 30 minutes in private devotion. But, but when we're not 40 or 50 uh, hours at work, the rest of the time is we're with family. We're out in the play. Where's the weight of your life? Is it in the 30 minutes? 
or is it any other 40 or 50 hours? The weight of your life. Where is it? The earth is God's temple. Okay, lean in here. Lean in here. Here's here's what I'm trying to get to. You know, think of what they did in the physical temple. They did all kind of what we call secular things. In the physical temple, they had to clean the bathrooms. In the physical temple, they had to wash the dishes, the utensils that were being used. In the physical temple, they had to sweep the floor. In the physical temple, they had to prepare the animals that would be sacrificed. And they'd have to clean up and wash the blood after the sacrifice. They had to learn how to make fires in the physical temple. And they thought of all of those different areas of work as sacred because they, they, they could see the connection between those areas of work and God's eternal purposes. Now, I experienced this uniquely as a child growing up. My grand aunt, <laughs> to my disdain, would take me uh, to the church because we didn't always have a janitor. And she would get busy and she'd make me get busy uh, sweeping the floor, wiping down the, the pews, cleaning the bathrooms along with her. And I was like thinking, why is she doing this, this housework here in the church? I saw it as laying bricks. But she didn't see it as laying bricks, guys. She saw it as building a cathedral. It wasn't housework. Come on now. It was church work because the cleaning the pews and the sweeping of the floors was preparing a facility to reflect the glory of God and to contain the worship of God and the work of God. Many years later, I discovered, watch this, that when she did the same thing at home, come on now, she wasn't laying bricks, she was building a cathedral because she saw her cleaning and her caring for me as a child and her working to be the best wife that she could be connected to God's eternal purpose, his call on her life. Come on now. And and, and so as she cleaned in the church house, come on now, she was worshiping. And as she cleaned in her house, come on now, she was worshiping. For me, it was just laying bricks. My question for you is, what are you doing? Are you just laying bricks? I want to challenge you today to learn how to do what I want to call think multidimensional. Here's here's a great here's a great idea. You see, for my grand aunt, every task, every job, every responsibility, she understood that she was doing wherever it was in the world. She was doing it in the temple of God. And, and, And it was it was always connected to a God purpose. And so she saw the task connected to a God purpose. She saw the job connected to a job purpose. She saw the responsibility connected to a God's purpose. That meant that as she engaged in her 50 hour a week work, she was worshiping because she was engaged, not just in a responsibility, not just in her job, not just in her task, but in a God's purpose. What about you? And the challenge for us that most of us engage in tasks and jobs and responsibility, totally blind to the God purpose that surrounds it. Whether you are a plumber or a lawyer, whether you are a maid cleaning beds in a hotel room, or you're working in a warehouse, or you're an investment banker, or an engineer, the question is, can you tell that your job 
your task. Do you see the God purpose? Because if you do, then you've not just laying bricks, you're building a cathedral. You're worshiping. Praise God. Can I just make one last point? You see the revelation here? That's the power. Let me just prove it. Exodus, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. In Exodus, they're getting ready to build the the tabernacle, right? And and here's what the text says. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I have specially chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, and I have filled him with the spirit of God to do what? Watch this. Giving him great wisdom and ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He's skilled in engraving and in carving wood. He's a master craftsman. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Go back, go back, go back, go back to, go back to the beginning of this verse. Go back to the beginning of this verse. Did you catch it? He, he, he says, I've taken the fella. But because he's working on, on, on a spiritual cathedral, because he's working on that which has been dedicated for me, I have filled him with my spirit and activated his craftsmanship jobs. Come on now. So, so, so what he's saying is you can be a carpenter. And God says, I'll fill you with my spirit if you understand that the work of carpentry, come on, is connected to a larger eternal purpose. And, 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 and as you engage there, you're worshiping. And you're activating the spirituality. You're growing as a disciple. You're you're meeting God in the work that God has called you to do. In the place that God has called you to be. And suddenly your life begins to have weight. Because 50 hours is engaged with God. Rather than one hour. Oh, here it comes. So I want to teach you, pray this prayer, Lord, make my life more weighty. First, the revelation. Then comes the question. Then comes the question. Here's the question. It is right here. Does my daily life bring honor to God and pursue God's purposes? Do you see the purposes that your life is connected? Are you pursuing God's purposes through what you do in your everyday work? That's the question, right? There can be at least several answers to this question. Here's the first answer. No, it just doesn't. You know, last week I told you about the Godfather. I'm a big Godfather fan. And one of the reasons I love Al Pacino plays Michael Corleone in the Godfather. I love this because it's the storyline behind the Godfather is so true to life. See, Michael Corleone, as a young man, realized that the work that his father and his family was involved in did not bring glory to God. It was not in pursuit of God's purposes. It was full of murder and killing and and all kinds of stuff to accumulate their wealth. And his desire was always to exit the dark side and break into the light. Because he knew that even though they were funding some good things, his life, as wealthy as he was, as politically connected as he was, his life, I'm going to put it this way, from a God perspective, was lightweight. It was not tied to God's purposes. <laughs> but the problem was, every time he got ready to think about getting out, he realized that he had to pay a cost. 
and he got trapped between the cost that he had to pay to stay in and the cost that he had to pay to get out. And somebody's listening to me and you need to get out of a bad relationship. Perhaps there's domestic violence there. Somebody is listening to me. This is why you, when you start praying the prayer, God add more weight to my life. God begins to shake us up, right? And, and you begin to say, there, there, there's some, some things I've got to step out of, but I'm afraid of the short-term calls. But here's what he missed. The longer he stayed in, the more, the greater the short-term calls grew. And, but if, we, if, he, if he could have stepped out, there would have been calamity in the immediate. Listen in, somebody. God's talking to somebody. There would have been calamity in the short term, but blessings in the long term. Blessings for him. Blessings for the next generation of his family. But he stayed in. And he stayed in too long. And it led to the downfall, the death of his daughter. And he died on the porch all by himself. Somebody knows that the life that you're living, what you're involved in, does not bring glory to God. And it's time for you to step out. There will be a cost. There will be calamity. But there is long-term blessing and the wonders of God that's waiting. The second answer to this question is this. I have not connected the, yeah, not completely. No, does my life bring glory to God? Somewhat, but not completely. Here's <laughs> what you mean. Uh, I'm in the right place. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a plumber. I'm a chef in a restaurant. But I, I, I've never thought about how my work is connected to the eternal purposes of God. And so I'm in the right place, but I just have not connected the dots. The third answer uh, is this. Not exactly. Meaning I'm in a good place but not the right place. I'm not where God has shaped me because I bring the greatest glory to God when I'm in the place that God has shaped me to be. That's where my life has the greatest weight. You see, when you start praying the prayer, God add more weight to my life. You see, all this stuff gets sh- shaken. You see, you see what I mean? And <laughs> stuff fall apart. And God began to shift you in some pretty amazing ways, right? And this, I, I have a very good friend of mine who said he was, he was, he was, uh, he was the fourth generation of lawyers. He tells an amazing story. He says that four generations ago, there was four brothers who were farmers. And they pooled their money together and sent one brother to school. And that one brother got a degree in law. And that one brother started working for a judge in a one-room kind of law cabin place. And he was sweeped that one room. And he went from that to, to helping to adjudicate cases and ultimately became a successful lawyer. And every generation afterwards, uh, they, they just knew they would grow up. And they would be lawyers. They would be politicians. They would be behind the scenes. And so when he came on the scene, his parents introduced him to what was to be his future, which was to be a lawyer. He met major political figures. Actually, they, they dreamt of him growing, going into politics as a lawyer. So he was in a really good place as a lawyer. You can't say anything, well, bad about most lawyers. Well, some lawyers, whatever. I'm just teasing. You can't say anything bad about lawyers, right? But he discovered he wasn't in the place that God made him to be. He found that he got more joy when he was in doing Bible study with his classmates in college in the dorm. He got more joy when he started doing mission works. 
And ultimately, he made the decision that he would seek the righteousness of God first and believe that everything else would be added. In other words, he would seek what God was calling him to do in the world, and he would try to figure out how to do that thing God's way. And that was not about being a lawyer. It is about him being a preacher and a pastor, and he shifted his life, caused all kind of turmoil in his family initially. You see, he was in a good place, but he was not in the right place. And then finally, here, check this out. Not exactly. And then here's the last answer. It could be yes. You could be listening to this sermon. I hope this way. You're like, yes, I'm in the exact right place. Yeah, I'm in the right place. Come on now. I've got the right perspective. I know that I'm called, that I'm a light of God in the place that I'm serving, that, I, that I'm seeking God's wisdom in how to engage in what it is that God is calling me to do. And that I'm pursuing a godly purpose through this work, not flawlessly, but faithfully, not perfectly, but I'm fully engaged. And if that's you, then I want you to celebrate. But I want you to expect that to mean it's going to be easy because you're in the right place and the right perspective and the right purpose. But it does mean that your life has weight, has weight with God. It will have weight in the world. And it has weight in eternity. And so I want you to pray this prayer for the rest of this week. Simply this, Lord, make my life, it's a dangerous prayer, more weighty. Pray that, will you? And let God have his way. Amen. Do you want God to add more weight to your life? I want to encourage you to take a step forward in that direction with me. I'm going to give you several ways to do that over the course of the next few, really in the next few seconds. So the primary way we engage in terms of a next step is through our connection card. And if you're watching on Facebook or if you're on our website, there's a link for you to engage there. There's also the NBCC app. I hope you have that. If you've got that, simply open that. Go to the uh, Sunday screen, the connection card section. You're going to see a section called Next Steps with Jesus. Just go ahead and go there. And the very first option you're going to have is an opportunity to say, you know what? I want to become a Jesus follower. I want him to be Lord and Savior of my life, Redeemer of my life. You can check that. Or maybe you want to return to your faith or maybe you've got some questions that you want us to help you to wrestle with. Check that and we'll be happy to engage with you. And then another way that we can take a step forward is that I want to challenge you to commit to praying this dangerous prayer every day for the rest of this, uh, for the next seven days. Here it is. Let's pray it together in the response to the message. Lord, make my life more weighty. And I just remind you that when you pray that prayer, what you're saying is, God, I want my living to have more of a godly impact. That's what you're saying. And then here's a reflection question that I'm encouraging you to wrestle with. Take out your, take a picture of this. Here it is. Where am I pursuing God's purpose in my life? Okay? Listen, make sure you get back and connect with us next week. I'm super excited about teaching the third week of Dangerous Prayers.